Good morning. Tommy Harley, administrative pastor. It's a joy to see you this morning, those watching online. The question is, are you free? Are you free this morning? Pastor Kevin asked me a couple of weeks ago how my sermon studying or preparation was coming along. And I told him I got it easy. Because really all I need to do this morning is give the Cliff Notes version. Some of you know what that is. Or the Reader's Digest. Some of you really know what that is. A bridge version for verses 121 through 128. And remind all of us to go home and review the previous 15 messages on Psalm 119. And in some regards, yes, there will be some repetition. But the prayer is that God's word will be taught and will be heard. And that we honor him this morning as we look at Verses 121 through 128. If you have a blue Bible, you can open it to page 572. Let us pray. Heavenly Fathers, we are gathered here this morning to hear your word, to study your word, to live your word. We ask, as Pastor Jason said, that our hearts be open, our ears be open, and our eyes be open for your words, Lord, and that you are honored in all that is done this morning. For you ask it in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Ayan is the 16th letter. See it on the screen of the Hebrew alphabet. Its primary meaning is eyes. And the design of it actually represents two eyes that are united at the optical chiasma. Now, if you're a medical person, you'll understand what that means. Hopefully, I pronounced it right. And it's the nerve center that receives and interprets visual impulses. It's going to play a huge role in the psalmist's words this morning, our eyes. I worked for a coach a few years ago, and he was adamant about eyes. As the quarterback would get everybody in the huddle after the play to call the next play, he would tell the quarterback, and we practice this, he would tell the quarterback, say eyes to focus. Eyes to focus, and Lord willing, that is what we are going to do today. We're going to focus on God's word this morning. Let us hear verses 121 through 128 in this beautiful, yes, lengthy psalm. I have done what is right and just. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. 
Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. And as I first started preparing and looking at this, the pronoun I stood out. And when Personally, when I hear somebody use that a lot, it kind of raises some flags for me. But as we look at these verses today, the eyes have a significant impact. Because this tells us, and the psalmist is telling us, and God is telling us that the psalmist relationship is personal. Verse 22. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. 24. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statues. 125. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Notice what the psalm is asking. He's asking God and God only for protection Verse 122, protect me. Verse 124, deal with your servant. Teach me your statutes. And 125, give me understanding so that I may know your testimonies. I. See, it takes some humility do that. Because he's going to God. He's not going to anybody else. He's going to God and asking for this. Hebrews 11.6 may help us with this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Who did the psalmist seek? The psalmist sought God. That means he had to believe in him. He had to have faith. Yes, Jesus had not come yet. But go all the way back. To Abraham and Moses. Go all the way back. They're on this side of the cross. We're on the other side. They had to have faith. How many times did God mention that in the Old Testament? For whoever would draw near, draw near. Do you draw near to people you have a relationship with? However you communicate, verbally, text, Do you draw near? In humility, do you draw near? Must believe that he exists. Faith. Do we see God today? Do you see God's face? 
But do you believe he exists? And he rewards those who seek him. We'll touch on that later. The psalmist knew God and knew that God was the answer. Something else that cannot be missed here is it is a personal relationship and only you, the individual, can make this decision. I could not make it for our two sons. Praise the Lord, they know the Lord. But I could not do that. My wife could not do that and she raised them, not me. Parents, you cannot make the decision for your children to know the Lord. Grandparents, you cannot. Friends, you cannot. Pastor Kevin cannot. Pastor Jason cannot. Pastor Sean cannot. Pastor Lee cannot. I cannot. Some of the greatest evangelists cannot. Only you. By confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. But what my wife and I could do and did, hopefully, is set an example. Not a perfect example. The psalmist is not saying he's perfect. But set the example by knowing God's word and living God's word in God's power. And that's what the psalmist is telling us. Second part of this personal relationship. He calls himself a servant three times in our passage this morning. He has used this term eight previous times. In verses 17, 23, 38, 49, 65, 76, and 91. Servant, man. And some, that has a negative connotation. But let's look at it in a biblical connotation. Dictionary says a, per, a servant is a person who performs duties for others. A devoted and helpful follower. Sounds good, right? See if you recognize these verses. Romans 1.1, 1, 1, Philippians 1.1. 1, 1, the great apostle Paul uses the term bondservant. In James 1.1, 1, 1, James uses the same term. Peter uses this term in 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. And finally, Jude uses the term bondservant in Jude 1.1. 1, 1. Bondservant meaning one who willingly, willingly chooses to serve his master. Yes, the term servant, especially in the third time that he uses it this morning, can be translated bond servant. See, we can take that all the way back to the Old Testament also. In the second book, Exodus 21, 5 and 6 tell us this, but if the servant declares, 
I love my master. And my wife and children do not want to go free. Then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. Don't miss that. If the servant, if the servant declares, I love my master and do not want to go free. What is the psalm psalmist saying? Eleven times so far, and guess what? I'm gonna give you a little heads up. It's gonna be used again. Because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. That tells you and tells us that it is a personal relationship. A couple of questions. Are you God's servant? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Do you have that? Only you know that. Do you? The psalmist did. And if you do, Are you his servant every day? Not just when it's convenient, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday. Or Saturday. But when the going gets tough. You're going to hear some sports analogies this morning because that's all I know. Are you God's servant? So we have a personal relationship. A second point of emphasis this morning is the psalmist relationship was persistent. Isn't that a great word? This is how persistence is defined. Excuse me. Continuing firmly in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Continuing to exist or endure over a prolonged period. If you have a personal relationship, we may look at that as sanctification. As we continue on this journey, it may not be easy. There may be difficulties. We're going to face opposition. But you see, the psalmist tells us he is faithful and remaining faithful to keeping God's word. Psalm 119, 121, and 122 again. I have done what is right and just, or just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. The verb has done in this passage is the preterite form. Or simple past tense. Meaning, 
I have followed the word of God and I will continue to follow the word of God. Who is, again, who is he looking for? Who is he searching for? Who is he coming to? God. And that's why he can say what he does. I have done what is just and right. Out of humility. Because he knows God's word. And he will continue to know God's word. And then verse 122. This is one of the verses. And some commentators say the only verse that does not directly or indirectly reference God's word. But it does have an important phrase for us. The pledge of good or surety, as some translations call it, that the psalmist is asking for. Because if we go all the way back to Genesis 3, we receive that pledge. Because God told us he was going to send somebody. That person is Jesus Christ. Take it all the way back. That is the pledge that we have today. So the psalmist again knows God's word and he is persistent in this. And then verse 126, also it is time for the Lord to act for your law has been broken. These three verses are very similar to psalms that we have studied. Psalm 119, 23, Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statues. Psalm 119, 61, Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. And Psalm 119, 95, The wicked lie in wait to destroy me but I consider your testimonies. He has been persistent so far. We've previously previously studied verses 23, 61, 95, just as we have studied verses 17, 23, 38, 49, 65, 76, 84, and 91 from point one. Do you see the pattern here? God's word starts with Genesis and ends with Revelation. In coaching, we had certain drills that we did every day. And you had to do them a certain way. Whether you're catching a pass and you've got to look the ball here, or you're playing defense and you've got to get here, Move your feet. Or you got to put your hands behind your back so you don't reach like this and got to move your feet. Why did we do that? Because the persistence. So when the players would get in the game, it would almost be second nature to them. They wouldn't have to think about, oh, my feet are turned wrong. 
or my hands are not in the right position. The psalmist is saying, I know God's word, and I want to continue to know God's word. So in the heat of battle, which he has been in and is in today, he can call on God and God's word and the promises to know that in the end, it's going to be okay. He's also persistent in asking God to act. Again, verse 126, It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Time to act can be translated here, high time to act. The verb can be rendered to mean or to be doing. It is time to act. He is tired. He is worn from his oppressors. Do you feel like that this morning? Have you prayed that prayer before? Whatever has transpired in your life, whatever is transpiring on this Sunday, August 13th, it is time to act, God. I'm tired. Maybe you're saying that now because when you walk outside, it's going to be hot. Get this heat out of here, Lord. It is time for God to act. So how can the psalmist say that? How can we tell God it is time to act? 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. Toward who? That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Psalm thirty seven four. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Philippians four nineteen. And God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's how we can do it, and that's how we should do it. Or we can't miss something here. We can't miss the sovereignty of God. He will give you the desires of your heart. He. He will supply your needs according to whose riches and glory? Not Tommy Harley. But to God. 1 Timothy 1, 6, 15 and 16 tell us this. Which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be the honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Psalm 115, 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. We talk about the sovereignty of God. We believe in it. Except when we want it our way. Or things are really tough. Why, Lord? Think of Job. But in 
read the end of Job. Think of Shadrach, my boys, Meshach, and Abednego. And they about to get thrown in the fiery furnace. But their response to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That we will not. Even if God doesn't rescue us from the furnace, God's sovereignty. So the question for us today, if you have that personal relationship, are you persistent in praying for God's will to be done? Yes, ask. And are you persistent in your obedience? And then his relationship is passionate. And he can only have a persistent and passionate relationship because it is personal. Verses 123 and 124. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. Verse 123 is similar to verse 119. 82. My eyes long for promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? The NIV uses my eyes fail. The New Living Translation uses my eyes strain to see your rescue, your eyes. I have two surgically repaired eyes. I had detached retinas in both. My vision is still not great. And I truly wish I could stand up here today and tell you the reason for my eyes and their difficulties was because I was longing for the Lord. And it was too much studying of His Word. But you know what? That would just be a lie. Why I had two detached retinas, I don't know. But they have been repaired. Longing. See, there is that persistence again also. Longing means to have a strong desire or yearning for something or someone. A fervent or intense desire for something or someone. If you're married... You had this at one time. I've been watching a lot of the Women's World Cup. And I'm going to tell you. 
You want some passion? You watch those fans from other countries. They are passionate about their team. You go to other countries and start talking about soccer. Had the experience years ago to go to Peru on a mission trip, just as our team will be is preparing to go to Ecuador, and that train's coming soon. But in Peru, while in Peru, some big Central and South America soccer tournament was going on, and I can't remember the name. So as we were going door to door, young gentleman came to the door. And I asked him, was he keeping up with Peru's team in the tournament? And he said, no, I don't watch soccer. I said, God, you really got a sense of humor. Now, everybody else in Peru was. But this young man knew U.S. basketball. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, and my limited knowledge of basketball, and the translator Elsa, I believe was her name, Jose will be in heaven with all the believers in here. The passion. If you really want to know more about soccer and passion, read the book, How Soccer Explains the World. I have a copy. I'll be glad to share it with you. He's also passionate in trusting God and God only with everything he has to give. He knows he's a sinner and deserves God's wrath. But he also knows the promises of God. So he calls upon this steadfast love, verse 124. We have seen the term steadfast or phrase steadfast love in verses 41 64 76 and 88 and again to spoil what's coming we're going to see it again steadfast love persistent it's not going to change because God cannot change go all the way back God's passion for us. You ever thought about that? Through his love and mercy for us. Daniel 9.18 says this. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. And the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Psalm 133. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? In Psalm 103.10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, 
nor repay us according to our iniquities. So yes, again, in humility, because he has a personal relationship. He is persistent. God is time to act. Go back and read. He said that time and time. But he knows that yes, he strives to keep God's laws and precepts. And he wants understanding. But he's not going to do it perfectly. And he knows he does not deserve God's steadfast love. He does not deserve his mercy. He does not deserve his grace. And we don't either. And how the Lord works. Yesterday my devotion was on Isaiah 53. If you know that passage, read it again. And then the final two verses. To show us the psalmist's passion. Verses 127 and 128. Therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. You got to know them, right? Before you can say, I love them. Or I consider them to be right. You got to know them. But notice, he loves them more, not just gold, but fine or pure gold. His love and belief in God's word causes him to hate every false way. It's that's where it comes from. Because he knows what God's word says. And he loves God's words. And he wants to understand God's word. And we can see his persistency. Psalm 119, 14, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. 119, 72, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And then 119, 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Pastor Kevin and Pastor Jason, I've had the honor to teach on these verses and have brought out the love the psalmist has for God's word. The question is, even for me as I was studying this, do I remember their teachings or really the Lord's teaching on God's word? on the psalmist's love for God's word. Do we remember what they said? So the question is, do you love God's word more than anything? I told you all I know is sports. Do I love God's word more than I love sports? Do I love God's word more than I love coaching? Do I love God's word more than some of my favorite teams? 
If I love God's word more than I love my family. That's a question only you can answer about yourself. Because it truly is a personal relationship. So how does this message apply to us today? Man, this is 2023. And when you blink your eyes again, it's going to be 2024. Is your relationship personal? Have you confessed, as Romans tells us, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? And believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead. If you read in the first chapter of Romans, it'll tell you. We have no excuse to say that God does not exist. So if you have done that, is your relationship persistent? And studying God's word, wanting to learn God's word, even in the tough times. And is it passionate? Do you love God? Do your actions show you love God? How you talk to people, how you communicate with people, how you treat people. How you treat those that may not look like you or talk like you or believe like you. But ultimately it all comes back to God and your relationship or lack of a relationship with Him. If you do not have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, the time is now because God in His sovereignty could sit in Jesus while we're sitting right here. Let us hear these words from Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass weathers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. During this time of response, I'll be down front. We love the